there was nothing they could do. If you would open your Bible this morning to Mark chapter 9. Begin reading in verse 30, Mark 9. In the beginning of this chapter, our Lord had just went up upon the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. I keep those names in mind. And when they come down off the mountain, it's when they found the man that was possessed, or his son that was possessed. The disciples couldn't cast him out. But our Lord told him when they come down off the mountain, he said, don't tell, any, don't tell anybody what you saw till after the resurrection. It says in verse 12, how it is written of the Son of Man that he must suffer many things and be said it not. He prepared them for what was coming ahead and it's like almost like they never received it, never heard what he was saying. In verse 30, and they departed thence and passed through Galilee and would not that any man should know it. And he taught the disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men. And he tells them again, They shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they understood not that saying. And they were afraid to ask him. You think about that, never thought about it. Why were they afraid to ask him? You don't, if you don't understand something, ask him. We don't understand. They thought we don't understand. That Lord showed me. But they were afraid to ask him. And he came to Capernaum and began in, began in the house. He Being in the house, he asked him, What was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? He asked him a question. Now, being God, he knew he knew what they were talking about. Now, notice this a lot of times in scriptures. He's not asking for his information. He's asking for their information. He's asking so they will know that he already knows. He said, "What did y'all talk about when we basically when we were coming up the road?" And they held their peace. They didn't say anything. And the reason they didn't tell, because for by the way, they disputed among themselves who's going to be the greatest. He's just talking to them about suffering. He's just told them he's going to go to Jerusalem and give his life and be crucified, but he won't stay dead. He will rise from the dead. And they're talking, they're talking about Who's going to be the greatest? Oh, it's going to be Peter. Uh, it's going to be James or John. Uh, it's surely going to be one of those because those are the ones he took up on Mount of Transfiguration. Those are the ones he, he took into the Garden of Gethsemane. Disputing, questioning. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said unto them, If any man desire to be first... The same shall be last of all 
and servant of all. And that's what I want to try to look at this morning. He that is servant of all. And he took a child and he set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one such children, one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. They were sitting, he sat down and saith unto them. He said, if any man desires to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. That goes against everything in our grain. If you want to be the greatest of all, you be ruler of all. That's what we like. That's our nature. We, we want to be first. We don't want to be last. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. Our Lord said there's not a great, there was not a person born greater than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That's grace. Our Lord is saying, and what I want us to look at today is he's laying out the standard for true greatness. Like I said, the world says ruling others is true greatness. Our Lord said greatness is serving others. You've heard me say this. I heard Henry say many, many times, he said, you know, most people want to take the floor. Now, that's what that's in reference to when people used to have business meetings. Everybody wants to get on their soapbox. Everybody wants to say something. He said everybody wants to take the floor and to give their opinion, but he said nobody wants to sweep the floor. <laughs> nobody wants to sweep the floor. David was a great king. Not because he was a mighty king. Now, he was a mighty king. But you know why he was a great king? The Bible says he served his generation. You think about it. Jeff, we live in this generation. We live in this generation. We want this generation to serve us. We want this generation of technology or whatever to make us great and happy and satisfied. But he said greatness is... You serving, or David did. He, when he served that generation, he served it, and he served it well. He served it well. Let us not seek honor, attention, and power, but humility and love in serving others. Let me read to you from Mark. I know this is... Uh, Similar, Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It's just over one chapter. I think this would be probably the third time that he's told them that I'm going to Jerusalem. Why, why is he going to Jerusalem? And we're going to show you in a minute because he's God's righteous servant. 
Mark 10, verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid, and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto, them, unto him. He's, he's trying to relieve their fears, saying, Behold, we go to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and deliver him up to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him and scourge him and spit upon him. And they shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. Okay, back in chapter 9, they were, they were disputing who was going to be the greatest. And he, he goes into more detail now. He said, they're going to mock me. They're going to spit upon me. But put yourself in their shoes. This is not what we thought he would be king of. We thought he came, even the, the disciples, that he came to set up his earthly reign. He's going to die? Why must he die? Surely this can't be. One place it said that Peter said, be it far from thee, Lord. And the Lord turned around and said, Say, he rebuked Satan. Look in verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him, saying, Master, we, we would that thou shouldst do for us whatsoever we desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And he said unto them, They said unto him, Grant unto us that we, that we may sit one on the right hand, and the other on the left hand, in thy kingdom. Well, I say, which one's going to sit on the right side? Which one's going to sit on the left? But they come up and act, they see, they still think that he's talking about an earthly kingdom, and if he reigns, we want to be, we want to be part of his court, you know. And they ask him, But Jesus said unto them, verse 38, You know not what you ask. Can you drink the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they say unto him, Yeah, we can. They had no clue what he was talking about. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized, be baptized that I am baptized with. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, shall you be baptized? But to sit on my right hand and on my left, it's not mine to give. But it should be given to them by whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. They're not asking in, in private. Can you imagine if you was one of the ten? And Peter and John are standing there in front of you and they're asking who's going who's to be the greatest. You know, first thing you thought, what about me? What about me? I, I want. I, we want to rule. We don't want to serve. That's it. We want to rule. And when they heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him, and he saith unto him, He's going to calm their hearts. Now you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles, they exercise lordship over them. 
and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But not so it is it not but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He didn't come to be ministered unto. He came to minister. Let me show you one more in Matthew 20. This is similar, but I want to point out something else also in Matthew 20, verse 17. And Jesus going to Jerusalem took the 12 disciples apart in the way. He got them alone, just him and them. And he tells them again, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. And here's what's going to happen at Jerusalem. The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the chief priest and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death. And they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, to scourge, to crucify him. And the third day rise again. Now, you keep that in mind what he just told them. Well, then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, James and John, and her sons worship him, desiring a certain thing of him. Oh, now they went and got their mama. That's what they did. These are men. These are fishermen. They, Mama, would you ask Jesus for us? And he said, he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Can grant that these my two sons may sit the one on the right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. And Jesus answered and said, You know not what you asked. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm able to drink of? When he's asking, he said, are you able to drink of the cup? Are you able to drink that cup of suffering that I'm able to drink, that I'm going to have to drink of? You'll see him submit when he goes into the garden, and he said, not my will, but thine be done. If it be possible that this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done, and he drank it. And they said, we're able to drink it. You know, the first one that was killed of all the 12 disciples? James, the son of Zebedee. Isn't that kind of ironic? He drank of the cup. And then John, you know what happened to John? He wrote the book of Revelation, exiled to the Isle of Patmos. You know what they learned to do? They learned to serve. They learned to serve. He is servant of all. The Son of God. He didn't come to sit down and have you minister unto him I think about when he washed those disciples' feet. That, that was a, it was a slave that would wash their feet. 
It was not for some mighty person or the one who owned the house or whatever. They had servants that would do those jobs. And our Lord put a towel around him. He got him a basin of water. And I can see him, he probably had to get down on his knees. And Peter said, you ain't washing my feet. And what he said, he said, you ain't washing mine. And the Lord said, if, you, if, you, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. And like a member Gabe preached on that one time, and he said when he got done, you can just see that towel. It was muddy red. And he asked him, he said, do you know what I just did for you? He said, no. He said, what I've done, you do also. Not that we literally wash people's feet. You know what I'm, you know my responsibility as a preacher? It's to take the water of the word of God and wash your tired feet. The reason they washed feet so much, they didn't wear shoes like you wore. They wore sandals. You imagine wearing sandals and you didn't have a, a bath in your house. You would have to go to a public bath. And wash, and you put your sandals on, and what would get dirty from the time you left the shower till you got home would be your feet. And he would wash those feet. And he washed them. Why? He came to serve. There's only one greatest, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He that was the greatest, he that was rich, became poor that you might be rich. In John 15, 26, remember the words that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will also keep yours also. Now I want you to turn, if you would, to Isaiah 42. Where it makes reference to our Lord as God's righteous servant. He's God's servant. Sent by God to obey God, to fulfill the law of God, to satisfy the law of God. He didn't come to make a, a name for himself. He made himself of no reputation. And it says, behold. Everyone needs to behold. Don't you get me? Let me have your attention. Behold. Behold what? My servant. Whom I behold, mine elect. There's only one elect. And he said, he's mine elect. And we were chosen in Christ. We were loved in Christ. We are the elect inside mine elect, God's elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry nor lift up his voice to be heard in the street. He's not out making a bunch of noise. A bruised reed shall he not break, thank goodness. An old bruise reed, what's it worth? Nothing. And smoking flax shall he not quench. Smoking flax is nothing more than offensive to the smell. 
but he won't quench it, and he will bring forth judgment unto death. I mean, judgment unto truth. Now, don't you see verse 4? This is talking about God's righteous servant. This is brought, talking about the one that a bruised reed he won't break and smoking flax he won't quench. He shall not fail nor be discouraged. So what's that saying? God's servant won't fail. He came for a reason and he accomplished it. He's not a failure and he doesn't get discouraged. We, we try to get do something and plan to do something, and we get real discouraged when things don't work out like we planned. No, he never got discouraged. If they hated him in one city, he'd just leave and go to the nether. In gathering country, they said, we want you out of here. We don't want you around. He got on the boat and left. He shall not fail nor be discouraged till he has set judgment in the earth, and the isle shall wait for his law. Thus saith the Lord, he that created the heavens and stretched them out, he that spared forth the earth and that which cometh out of it, he that giveth breath unto the people upon it and the spirit to them that walk therein, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will uphold thine hand and keep thee and give thee thee for a covenant to the people, for a light to the Gentiles, to open the blinded eyes to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Christ was called and chosen to perform a work that was given unto him as God's righteous servant. He's the only one that it can be said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Come thou faithful servant, enter into that which prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Our Lord knew and laid it upon his shoulders the task which he came to do and to perform. He said, a body hast thou prepared me. Christ our Lord conquered Conquered. How did he conquer it? As God's righteous servant. You want to see an example? David was the servant of his father. David obeyed his father. David did whatever his father told him to do. And his father told him one day, here, we've made some snacks or something, and we want you to take them to your brothers who are fighting a battle with King Saul. And at that time, they were really not fighting. They were just a bunch of clanging swords together because Goliath's on one side of the valley and Israel's over here. And Goliath's just mocking God. And everybody's afraid. Everybody's terrified. And David said, did somebody not hear what he said? He's blaspheming God. Y'all, y'all just standing here not doing nothing? Scared to death? David said, uh, who is this guy? He said he's a Philistine. He, he said he wants somebody to come fight him. He said, well, what, what's the reward of who goes fights him? Well, if whoever d- defeats him, the king's going to give him his daughter. Oh, really? <laughs> he's going to give him all this silver. Really? But there ain't none of us going down there to fight him. He don't have enough daughters and he don't have enough money for me to risk my life. And David said, I'll go fight him. 
the father sent David to check on his brothers. And where they're at, they're afraid. Here's somebody mocking them. And they'd go tell King Saul, you know, King Saul puts his armor on him. And David said, I can't wear this. I've not proved this. And David, he had a little pouch on his side. And he ran down through there and he just reached down in the water and he picked him up five smooth stones and he put him in his little pouch. You know why he got five? Well, it's the number of grace. And he's going to defeat him with the grace of God. But somebody also said that Goliath had four brothers. And he had one stone for each one of them if they wanted some of it. And he goes down there as his servant, as a picture of God's righteous servant. And he went down there and defeated the enemy and come back with his head. That's what our Lord did is God's righteous servant. He defeated the enemy. He conquered death, hell, and the grave to deliver his people as God's righteous servant. He came willingly. There's not a one of us that would know if we knew we were going to have to face that, to go face being spit at and mocked and shamed and crucified before everybody. Would you sign up for that? He said, not my will, but thine be done. And when he prayed the third time, he come and told the disciples, he said, I've got this. And when they come, he went to them. He said, whom did you come to find? Who did you come to seek? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, that's me. And he's going to do that. Why? As God's righteous servant, and he thanked God he didn't fail. I would have loved to have been there that day when David came up. I, it's, it's probably untelling how big Goliath's head was. And he's got it by the hair of the head, blood just dripping from its throat because he cut its head off with his own sword. David has slain his ten thousands. <laughs> People knew who David was. And you know what? People know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's won the battle. He's won it. He's conquered it. He's conquered. He made himself of no reputation, and he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Because as a man, it must be a man that defeats the enemy. A man got us in this mess named Adam, and a man must get us out. I think it's in John's gospel. You remember when they're going to bring Jesus out, and they bring Jesus and Barabbas out. And they said, you choose which one you want. And I think it's in John's gospel. It kind of reads like, and you think that it's Pharaoh or Pilate saying, behold the man. But Mr. Hawker said, he said it's like when Christ walked out. Christ looked at that whole bunch of people, and he said, you behold. And that's what he was. As a, as a man, he died. And they were talking about Friday night, about he still has the scars in his hands, the scars in his feet. As a man, he married himself to our nature to be a righteous servant. Would you want to be born in a stable? Would you want to work in a carpenter's shop? His ministry only lasted about three years. He never had a place to lay his head, never had a piece of ground, never owned a house. 
I want to show you this in Exodus chapter 21. I know you most, most, you, most of you have probably heard what's referred to as the bond slave. And that bond slave is a picture of our Lord. And what's ironic is in Exodus 20, it's when he gives the law, the Ten Commandments, that law. And the first thing that he mentions after that is the law of the, the bondsman. It says in Exodus 21, verse 1, Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve you, and in the seventh year he can go out free. He's paid his debt. He's paid it. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married when he came in, him and his wife, if, wait a minute. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. But what if he doesn't have a wife when he comes in and he's a slave? What if the master gives him a wife? And she hath born sons and daughters. The wife and her children shall be her masters, and he, and he shall not go out. He shall go out by himself. You see the picture? If the master give him a wife, that's the master's. If she had children, those are the master's. He can't take them with him. They're not his property. He has to just leave if that's what he decides to do. But there's something else. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, he's a good master. And I love my wife, and I love my children. I will not go out free. I'm not leaving without them. I'm not leaving. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore a hole in his ear with an awl, and that man, by having his ear bored, you know what he's saying? I will serve my master forever. That's a picture of Christ and his obedience unto the Father. You know why? He loved the Father he loves his bride, and he loves his children. He says, I'll be a master, for, I'll be a servant forever. And you think about this. When he took upon him the form of a servant, when a body was prepared him, he will never, ever cease to be God's righteous servant. And he will never cease to be the God-man in glory. You see what I'm saying? When he, and why did he do that? He's king. He's Lord over all. He made the world and everything in it and give men breath. He was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. That's God's righteous servant, bond slave. 
He said, I love my master. I love my wife. And he does. He gave his life for her. I love my children. And he chose to be a servant. It's based upon love. He's he's not forced to be a servant. He does it willingly. Willingly. In love, he stooped and washed the disciples' feet. In love, he went to the garden with great drops of blood. Then as God's righteous servant, he went to the cross, and he will will bear the marks forever. And he that is the servant of all, and he's servant of all, is the greatest of all. You know, that's what makes him so great that he, everything about him is great. But why would he do that? To put away our sin, to serve God fully and completely. As God's righteous servant, when he said, I will not leave that woman that was his wife and those children were his. Our Lord earned the right as God's righteous servant to sit upon that throne. He didn't fail. He's the only faithful servant. Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. He's the greatest servant. But you know what? We're his servants. We serve him. I'm not here to serve myself. My responsibility as a pastor is to serve you. That's it. Boy, there ain't many say that, and it's not that I'm humble or anything. That's not. I mean, they want to be called. They want to be called a reverend. They want to be called master. They want to be called father. That's what they want. They want somebody to serve them. They don't want to serve anybody. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. When he, this is how he began the letter. He's, he's sitting down and he, he's going to write a letter to the Romans. You know what he said? Paul. He didn't say Apostle Paul. <laughs> he said Paul. No name before it. No name, no title, no title after it. Paul, a servant. I'll wear the title of a servant, and I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. You know what that word servant there is? It's the same word where it says bond slave. I'm a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Here's what what Paul said. And he's not being proud. He's just being honest. He said in 1 Corinthians 5.10, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Look how much he labored. Why did he do it? 
Why, did, why would he do that? He said, I endure all things for the elect's sake. But you know what else he said? The way we would look at it, he was probably the greatest. Wrote half of the New Testament. But you know what he said? He said, I am less than the least of all of them. I'm not trying to be the greatest. I'm trying to be the least. And God gave him a thorn in the flesh to keep him humble. Lord, give us grace to serve each other and to serve this generation in which we live. Paul said, I'm a debtor to all men. All men. That's how I, you know, you'd serve your best friend, but you wouldn't serve your enemy, would you? You may serve him some besides drinking. You may serve him cyanide. But that's just not us. But God teaches us to serve. He's made us. He's made us servants. You know how we do it? We gladly, lovingly serve his God.